Everybody, 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 drop your buff, stop, 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 Welcome back to Drop Your Buffs. I'm Sean Ross. I'm Evan Ross Katz. And we are talking Survivor 43, Episode 11, Hiding in Plain Sight. Both of us had some traveling to do this week, so we're coming to you a couple days late. But maybe that's for the best. We've had some time to stew on this episode. Evan, what are your thoughts a couple days out from watching this? I do think that's for the best because I was not so hot on it. And I'm not hot on it. And you'll hear about that (laughs) throughout this hour. But... I'm shocked. You're shocked that I'm not. Oh, so I was like, okay. Um, But I I got home last night from my trip and I was talking to my fiance, a fiance to the pod, Billy. And Billy was saying that he was really hot on the episode. And then I was like, "Well, well, what did you like about it so much? And he was like, he felt like there was more people engaging in the Twitterverse of this episode Mm -hmm. of Survivor than he'd seen before, like making memes and whatnot, which is something that both he and I really, really love in any television show, um, which I thought was interesting. Um, So yeah, I think given time and also being able to like listen to and see more reactions from people um, has informed my opinion on it, probably for the better. But I think that uh, I have such an issue with what happened in that challenge, which again, we'll get to that. I think it was a, pardon me if I sound dramatic. I do think it was a jumping the shark moment for the show Mm. in which there have been several, but I think this was a distinct moment of, uh, we Houston, we have a problem. Well, yeah, I do agree that I think the double immunity win piled on top of the, yeah, piled on (laughs) top of the choose your challenge or adventure or choose your challenger advantage created quite a problem. And I think it was emblematic of the new era of the show. And we will dive a lot into that. And we got quite a few voicemails about that. So I'd like to be able to play a couple of those when we get to that portion. I do think there's a lot to talk about, but having said that, like I did enjoy this episode. I think it was like kind of a standard episode of survivor outside of that sort of unprecedented move that survivor made. I do think that it had all the elements of a Survivor episode that I would like to see, including kind of a classic challenge, despite the fact this is only the fourth time this challenge has been run. But similarly, I think that Hand on Hard Idol has only been run four, three or four times in history, but that's a classic challenge as well, um, and not just by virtue of it being in the very first season. Uh, so what th- is it Hand is on nice Hard to Idol? See. That's where they hold on to the idol at the final three. Oh, like just have no, literally. Wait, just but put why your are you hand mentioning on the that? Yeah. Well, because it's also a classic challenge that has only been run like four times. So oh, okay, but it's, it wasn't. You know, there's been some talk about this being a classic challenge, and yet up until this point, it had only been played three times. So I'm just saying, like, there are other classic challenges that have only appeared I less see. than a handful of times. But it's. Uh, but I was like thrilled to see this challenge back. Like I said last week, this was 
on our list of like our top 10 favorite challenges when we did our challenge episode. So I was thrilled to see it back. I actually thought it was like really fun to watch play out despite the ending, uh, which is no fault to the player. It's a fault to players. It's a fault to Jeff making this call. And I think there's a lot of things that they could have done to circumvent that, which we can talk about. And we had some good voicemails about that. But outside of that, I thought like standard episode of Survivor, we didn't get anything crazy. We got a unanimous vote here. So it wasn't sort of like a big strategic episode per se, though there was some interesting stuff discussed and particularly interesting to see the dynamic between Carla and Cassidy evolving and how other people see them as a duo evolving. Yeah. And to your point, I don't think this was a bad episode of Survivor. I agree with you. I think it was a very standard episode. And I think that like we are in a place right now where like standard cannot be acceptable. And I don't just mean Like, I mean, in the larger sense of, like, I think Survivor is really struggling um, in the television verse to stand out, to show, like, the reason why it is still running. I think Drag Race is facing the exact same problem right now, where it's just, like, just several years ago, Drag Race was so in the zeitgeist in a way that I think, and and I think it has a different problem. I think it's oversaturated the market, Mm. which is its own journey that it needs to fix. But I think there's a way in which it's like, people aren't talking about Drag Race the way they used to. And I think it's a similar thing with Survivor where like the show is just increasingly only relevant to those people who watch it. And even those of us who watch it (laughs) have our issues with it. But like, I think Survivor, and that's been the case for some time now, right? Like that's not like a new thing, but Mm -hmm. I think it needs to be more committed to trying to get people to talk about it by creating big television moments. Like in the way that Big Brother becomes such a talking point for people that don't watch Big Brother because of things that happen in the house, both good and bad. But I just think like Survivor is incapable of creating like larger moments the way that like, I know I'm going back to the beginning, but like the snakes and rats moment was like a moment much bigger than Survivor. It like, and even imagine if that moment had happened today and the way people would talk about it, there aren't really like moments to really like chirp about online. Even like our fights, like we got that Owen uh, moment with James several weeks ago where that was like, it was so muted. Like if you were to like, you know, if you were to make like the twenty two, the uh, 2022's biggest reality TV spats, I don't even think that moment would even like qualify for the list. And so I think that there's just, um, it's not really rising in a way that I think it really needs to right now, but I don't think it is bad television. There have been worse seasons of Survivor Absolutely. But I think that like, I'm really wanting a season that like shakes the table. Yeah, I think what's happening here is that we are three seasons into essentially the same format. And the problem that Survivor has now is that 44 was filmed back to back with 43. So potentially we're getting another season of kind of the same format. Uh, I have heard rumors of like new twists being introduced, but it's like, not sig- not really, really significant changes. And so I'm worried that if 44 doesn't bring the drama or the talking points that some of even the 30s seasons brought, which like, and that, that bar is low, that like Survivor, I, I, I know this sounds crazy, but I feel like Survivor could be in trouble. I completely agree, especially... And they have to be thinking about this for 45 and 46. They have to be thinking. I mean, they are mid-casting Survivor 45 and 46. Jeff gave an interview this past week on Tuesday to Dalton Ross, in which he gave a two-sentence interview, 
where he talked about the possibility of returning players. He has once again like walked back the statement that uh, that he won't be inviting people from preseason 40 back. He has said, you know, I think we're open to returning players, uh, even returning players from before the new era. We just don't know when that might be. I have to be thinking that they there must be conversations going on about whether they should be bringing people back for 45 or 46. The longest that they have gone without returning players in the past, um, sort of like in the pre-All-Stars, post-All-Stars days, is four seasons. Uh, so this will be matched with 44. It'll be interesting to see whether 45 sets... Uh, sorry, what's that? Do you know what those seasons are? Can I guess? I have to think about it, but... Okay, well, I'm thinking, <laughs> so it's 17, 18, 19. There were four seasons between 16 and 20 with no returning players, which would kind of feel like a longer stretch. Then let's see... 26 was Karamoan, 31 is Second Chances. Is there returnees between those two? Sorry, this was in the article. Um, we can look it up later. The most seasons... So this is from Dalton Ross. Hot off the presses. Cold off the presses, I, actually, because it was from Tuesday. Well, cold for several reasons. The most seasons work. they have run in a row without bringing at least two players back is four. Season 12 through 15. That's a four season. That's only three seasons between... So how do we count this? Because if wait, we wait, count wait, it, sorry. season 12, season 13, season 14, season 15. Oh, wait, he's saying... Okay, sorry, 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 sorry. Well, yeah. he's... Okay, so 11 is a returning player season, then 16, right? So yeah. that's one, two... So it's five seasons, is what he's saying. Okay, one, two, three... That, okay, this, this tracks. So that's it. So if 45 does not bring back any returning players, it will beat that, that run. Yeah, but I do think there's some nuance here in that, like, there's a difference between a returning player season with two returning players and a season with half returning players and a season with all returning players. Like, I, I don't think every returning player season is the same. No, Because I think that not. if they were to, like, announce season 45 is bringing back two players, that would not excite me in no, a way that, like, I, I need a, I at minimum, it. half cast of returning. A fan even versus that favorites. Me, yeah. Yeah. But yes, I think that like they really need to be mindful of this moving forward that I think the whole idea of like introducing new people to the survivor verse at present, I do not think is a formula that is going to give them longevity. Yeah. And I think that the other issue they have is that in the new era, have there been standout potential all-stars? Yes, I think there's been a handful and the I would problem <laughs> is the further yeah that's fine the problem is the further that we get away from those people the less we remember them i think because the problem with like and this could open a whole can of worms but the problem is i think the approach to casting survivor has become so narrow where i think they're looking for a very very specific type of narrator and Yes, they have uh, they have begun casting racially diverse casts, which is great. The problem is that that I don't think has necessarily brought us a whole lot of diversity in terms of walks of life and perspectives and point of views. Yes, there's been moments, but we haven't had. And I'm not even looking for villains necessarily. That would be nice, but 
we haven't even had like weirdos really right like if gabler is the pinnacle of weirdos in the new era like it's not cutting it and i think back i mean i know i say this all the time and there are other examples but i i always go back to abby maria because abby maria was not like a racist piece of shit abby maria was a bit of a weirdo who saw the world through her own strange abby maria lens spoke like you know uh, off off the cuff, whatever that phrase is. Um, she just called it as she saw it, and she was difficult to work with. And that made for such interesting television, in my opinion, especially on Philippines, where you had this like complex character who just saw the world differently than the people around her, and it just created these really interesting dynamics on her tribe and in her alliances. And here, I feel like they have been casting really, really sort of like walking the middle type of people who uh, all on paper really have a shot at winning, where Abby never had a shot at winning. And I think they had to have seen that in casting. It seems like they're looking to cast people who will win or could potentially win. It's like everybody who's cast is cast as a winner, where I think before you would like fill out a cast with potentials, right? Like you would have like, like Courtney said in our interview, Uh, And it's crazy that we interviewed Courtney over a year ago, and I'm still regularly referencing what she had to say, because that just is a testament to Courtney. But she said, I was cast as the person I was like promised I would be voted out one of the first people. Like that's who I was cast to be. And I think you kind of need that. And I have to say, like, I'm sorry to Jesse Tannenbaum, the, the head of casting at CBS, but Lynn Spillman, who was the, uh, casting director on Survivor until the very, very late 30s was unceremoniously axed from the show. They brought in Jesse Tannenbaum, who has gotten a lot of credit for casting these diverse casts, which is great, but that wasn't necessarily his choice. Like That was implemented by CBS when they were pushed by the Survivor diversity campaign, so I don't think we can hand all the credit to CBS casting for casting diverse casts what we need is diverse casts with diverse walks of life that have diverse perspectives i like i'm not i I could there's probably a much more succinct way to say this but i i do feel like all of the casts are just kind of like melding together and nobody's really given the chance to stand out or they're not standing out for other reasons So I think the thing to look at is season 39, which is an incredibly diverse cast and brings a ton of really great characters. I know you and I both have a soft spot for season 39 and also feel like it was kind of obscure due to one event that takes place. People don't often sort of look at the rest of the cast, but there are so many, so Mm -hmm. many great characters in season 39. And obviously it does not meet the the current standard of 50% POC cast, but it is a it is a far more diverse, is one of the most diverse seasons pre-40 um, that exists, if not, I mean, no, I guess, obviously, um, uh, Cook, Cook Islands, Islands and yeah, and Fiji, but still, I think it is really up there, but yeah, I agree with you, and also looking at Natalie Cole from season 37, as far as, when you talked about sort of like those kooky characters, like Natalie Cole was not going to come in and win Survivor, mm-hmm. um, I don't think, there's a, you know, there's always a pathway, but like, I don't think so, but she created so much great television in such a limited amount of time, and I just, we, we really are not seeing that. Um, and even now, when I think 
it looks like Jesse is the most likely winner of the show, which we can get into why later in the episode. But like, even thinking about Jesse as being the winner, that's just not gonna like drum up attention for the show. Like, Jesse's not giving on a reality television, from a reality television standpoint, outside of being strategic, which even that, I'm not gonna give him much credit. I don't think he's like any kind of mastermind whatsoever, but in thinking about how back in the day, right, the eliminated person would go on to, was it, um, CBS This Morning the next day, or whatever the talk show was. Yeah, one of like those, these yeah. Pe- yeah, but these people, or even some of them would go on late night, right? And it's like they were expected to like be able to deliver a good, tight, seven-minute interview, and it's like, I don't know what there is for, I'm not craving more time with these players to hear about what went on the island, because all they would have to talk about would be the strategy of the game. Yeah. I, I, w- I would say that, I think Jesse is a really good survivor player i think the problem is like i'm not seeing the charisma and it's possible that it's there because like i don't know whether to blame the cast which i feel is like really unfair because these are just regular people who wanted to play survivor and like you know it's not their fault whether they're maybe that's you know not everybody is abby maria not everybody is natalie cole but like jesse is a good survivor player i think we've seen some good strategy from him i think in this episode in particular also like he he approached the vote in an interesting way where you know they had an easy vote and he went wait a second like there's more to what's going on here and uh, with i'm referring to sort of like the 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 tide was moving to get rid of Cassidy, but because he heard Carla say that she was willing to vote Cassidy out, then he realized, well, they're not as close as everyone thinks, so that that's not the move we think it is, so let's take out somebody else. So I think that he is probably the the best player out there right now, potentially next to Carla, but she's been playing from the corner a little bit. So I, like, I, I do think there's good survivor players. It's just like, where is the charisma? Where is the uniqueness? Where is the nerve? Where is the talent? T, uh, but I, I think too, we need to start to perhaps ask ourselves, do we need to keep casting fans of this game? Does that matter? Like, should the priority be big personalities and they'll figure out the strategy while they go, while they're out there? I think that this idea that like to know the game is somehow going to make... Like, we need to be thinking about the television show more and less about the game. We've had this conversation about sort of that shift from the, from the show being a reality. What was, what was the quote that we both love? That it was, th- that in the old school, it was about, it was a show about people playing a game, and now it's about the game that people are playing. Yes. And I think if we were to really unpack that more, it would really come down to the casting of it. And I, yeah, I think this idea of people coming in and knowing how to play has no advantage to making the show better. And, you know, we've joked at one point about there being a, a Survivor Influencers season, but like not for nothing, that would be incredible television with a huge built-in audience from all of those influencers. And how fun would it be to watch people whose primary job it is to like be on a screen making content, to like be forced to be out in the wilderness trying to survive. Like that to me, even before the cameras go up, I would be excited at the mere premise. 
And this is one thing that's really missing. And this is why I think people love, you know, these blood versus water seasons, because there's an intrigue factor outside of the casting in the container of the of the season itself. And we need to really be thinking about that as we move forward. If not all-star seasons, just more themed seasons that make people say, hey, I haven't watched Survivor in a, se- in a, in a few years or whatever, but I hear they're doing a season in which X happens. And that X is reason alone enough to tune in. I've got two things to say here. One is uh, not a spoiler for Australian Survivor because I know we are both on that journey. And I just want to say that in Blood vs. Water, for those who know, Sophie was an influencer. And Sophie came on Blood vs. Water and was a fucking star. Uh, like, Like her or not, most did not. But she was a star and she brought it. Is it because she was an influencer? She certainly brought her own audience to the show, and that resulted in some off-screen drama. And there's something to be said for that. That was one person, and it really like created a significant story in that season. So there is something to that. The other thing I'll say is that I remember a conversation I had many, many years ago with somebody who was an acquaintance of mine who didn't watch Survivor, and hadn't seen it since the very early seasons. And she was like, oh my God, did you guys hear about what they're doing on Survivor? Blue collar versus white collar versus no collar? That is crazy. And I'm like, (laughs) first of all, awful season. But like, that really struck me because it was somebody who didn't watch Survivor who was enthused by this concept, which, albeit it's a stupid concept, but it's a concept that you can glob onto. And like, I feel like I'm really putting my foot in my mouth because back then I thought this is so stupid. I hate these themed seasons. They need to end. I was wrong and I'm willing to admit that. No, I totally agree. The other thing too I've been thinking about is there's been a lot of conversation about this like duo of Jesse and Cody. And I've been thinking about like, you know, the duos of our past, you know, your uh, Fishback and JT's, your Parvati and Amanda's, even your Dom and Wendell's. And it's like these two guys, And I think this is more just the lack of what we've seen of this relationship, but like, this is not a strong duo whatsoever. Like we get so little of Cody. We've gotten nothing from Cody talking about how he feels about Jesse at all. Is Cody willing to cut Jesse at any point? Has he at least entertained the thought of that? What about vice versa? Do they have a final two? Like we've gotten nothing from them or just even just like bonding as human beings. I think part of the intrigue of the Fishback JT uh, friendship and, and alliance is this idea of them being such odd bedfellows who found one another and sort of like connected in a very real way, again, deeper than the game. I just don't think there's any chemistry between Jesse and Cody as players. I don't think there's any chemistry between Carla and what's her name? Cassidy. Cassidy. Um, I just don't think we're getting like dynamic duos. The best I can think of that we've had in this modern era is Ricard and Shan. And that was so short lived, but I think that's the best that we've really gotten. Yeah, and, and I can mean, I say if about that? Erica I, and Heather I, are meant to be one, then like I think the, I think we ain't doing Heather wasn't so in well. the show. Heather was not in the show. She's not a cast member. That's true. What what I want to say about Shan and Ricard is I think what made them an interesting duo is that we saw their actual personalities on the screen. Yes. We yes. saw them argue, we saw them bicker, we saw them work together, we saw them celebrate together. There were ups and downs. We had high tides and low tides with Ricard and Shan. And that's what made them memorable. Here we're just getting people who 
who conveniently are working together. There is a big difference in that. Yes, and, and this is to Ricard and Shan's credit, and I just, I love the idea of people that are in an alliance, like bickering with one another. Because I think there's this current trend where like, if you're in with someone, you would never go against them. You know what I mean? Like you would never see a fight between two people working together. And the great tension of Ricard and Shan was, they were fighting and still working together. And neither of them at that point, if I remember correctly, were really considering backstabbing one another. It was it was just a very real fight between two people who want to work together, who are potentially at a crossroads in their interests around how to move forward in the game. And that was an interesting tension because it wasn't like, oh, you're not willing to go with me. And then a cut to a confessional where they're like, she's not willing to go with me. I'm ready for her to go home. That wasn't the case. It was actually like, she's not willing to go with me and I'm frustrated because I want to go with her. And so how do we how do we make this work? And I just don't think you're getting that complexity and dynamics right now. Um, and I think the show suffers as a result. Yeah. Okay, well, let's get into this episode a little bit. We are 20 okay, minutes fine. in. Is that what we're I, here I do for? think we unpacked a lot here. I think we unpacked a lot here. <laughs> and hey, if anybody has thoughts on like the casting or maybe yeah, what's let's... not making these new seasons iconic, it would be really fun to hear from you because I'm, I think that there's still something I, that I haven't put my finger on and I would love to get to the bottom of it. I would love us to do a How to Fix Survivor episode. Yeah. Because I really think there's a lot to Yeah, I think there's a lot that could be implemented. And so much, I think, of how to fix the show is pulling on things the show's already done. So it's not like we're coming in here to say, oh, this show needs to, you know, uh, rebirth itself. I think, if anything, yeah. Surprise, surprise. We wanted to go back to how it was. Anyway. Okay. Episode (laughs) season 43, episode 11. 11. Okay. 11. So we open up with Sammy being caught red-handed. This I thought was really interesting. This entire Sammy arc this episode I thought was interesting because up until this point, I have been saying, well, Sammy's probably going to win. If it's not Jesse, it's Sammy because of the edit that Sammy has been getting where it's been so, so, so positive. And yet we've seen him ever since the merge be kind of like double-crossing his alliances or at least his Baca alliance with Owen and Gabler and having to come back and sort of explain himself. And here, once again, we get him coming back and having to explain himself because he cast a vote for Carla and he's sort of like caught out where he's trying to pin it on Gabler and then he comes clean that actually it was me. And when he's actually confronted about it, he's kind of like bumbling and it's not playing well with anybody. And so all of a sudden, this guy that we've been seeing as this amazing middleman, like flipper sort of floater in the game is we're seeing not not as savvy, at least socially, as we had been led to believe, or finally he's just breaking. I don't know exactly what's going on here, but I did think it was interesting that Sammy has had such a fall from grace from even the episode before where he was being shown to us as this like amazing 19-year-old, 22-year-old strategic mastermind, and then he's just floundering when confronted with an incorrect vote here. Yeah, I mean, I've said this before about several players um, from this season, which is I don't understand what Sammy's, like what Sammy thought his deal was in this episode. Because Mm. I, I recognize the fact that Sammy realized he made a mistake, sure, but, and not that I think Sammy's like a particularly savvy player, um, but I, I guess I would have wanted to understand more how, what was Sammy's strategy going to this episode beyond playing the shot in the dark? Like he had to have, 
known where things were at, especially after the opening of this episode, and done more to try and secure his spot. Um, And I also just want to use this moment to mention Stephen Fishback on the most recent Know-It-Alls compares Sammy to Xander. Did you listen to Know-It-Alls? Uh, I only listened to, like, a few minutes of it. I didn't have time. Steven has this, like, argument of how, like, Sammy and Xander are just so similar. He even thinks that they, like, have similar hair. And I'm just like, Steven, Steven, we need to, we need to talk. Sammy is not on the level of Xander. I would put Xander among the small set of possible all-stars to come back. Um, really? Yeah, I would. I really would. Oh. Um, and I just, yeah, Sammy, uh... Not a memorable player, in my opinion. But yeah, I think that, but but going back to what I was saying, I just, I feel like Sammy, it would have been a more fun episode to understand Sammy's perspective on how he was going to maneuver. Because what didn't make sense to me is, and maybe this is the 19-year-old uh, coming through here, but like, once you have that moment with Carla at the beginning of the episode, you need to then gun for Carla moving forward. There's no sort of like, you can't get mm. things back on track. You need to know the fact that like, You've betrayed someone this far into the game. There's no, unless you, I mean, I mean, never say never, but I would have to work off the mentality of like, once you've thrown someone under the bus and they know, I don't think you back up the car and try and find somewhere. It's like, I think you need to go full force. And I think it was odd of him to try and think, like, did he actually believe that he and Carla, like he could, he could win her back after not only betraying her, but then lying about it? Yeah. Yeah, and what we did see him try to do was throw Cassidy under the bus, which wasn't like a bad move because Carla did kind of fall for it where we got this flashback to Carla telling Cassidy about her idol, which is like, once again, why are we getting this information like so much later? Like we are, we don't, whatever. We're, uh, (laughs) I just feel like sometimes they treat their audience like a bunch of idiot numbskulls. And it's like, I could have remembered that Carla told Cassidy about her idol three episodes ago and that then the implications that this would have. But instead, they withhold that information and then tell us only when we need to know. And they tell us as though we're showing you this information just so you know about some strategy. But had they shown us that when it actually happened, I would read that more as like a bonding moment between yeah. them. And it helps show the audience that like Carla really feels strongly about her relationship with Cassidy in the game. Idol aside, like they're presenting it as like, here's some information that could dictate things moving forward. And I would say it's like, no, you show us that moment as it happens. If you need to re-show us down the line when it becomes relevant again, fine. But like the the fact that they don't see that moment initially as being an important moment in relationship building, that to me is a big red flag. Yeah, because we we talked about this last week that we don't know where people are, how people really feel about each other. I felt like I learned more about Carla and Cassidy's bond in the past, retroactively, than uh, than I had with any other conversation with them because it was just the it was those like little like body language things. And when like when Carla tells Cassidy she has the idol, and Cassidy's response is "bitch," and then laughs like. That tells me more about their relationship than any strategy talk ever will. It tells me that they have a friendship. They can play with each other. Like, they obviously find each other funny. They have a similar sense of humor. Like, in that tiny moment, I learned more about their bond than in any other moment in the season. 
And the other thing that remains so confusing, I think my, uh, my, I was gonna say my number one complaint, but like, I think there's, that's more than just like, there's a whole long list and it's all just sort of equal. But, um, but like, why, again, we talked about this, why is no one going after Jesse? It's like, mm-hmm. it, it's so odd. I mean, I think it's comparable to uh, what happened with Dom and Wendell on their season. And, and also it happened with um, uh, why I'm not a big fan of Tony's win in Kagoyan, which is that like you have these instances in which like this clearly like great player who's positioned really well to win, or in the case of Wendell and Dom, two players, no one at any point, or even Tyson um, in, uh, is it Second Chances? No, Blood versus Water, excuse me. Um, even Tyson in Blood versus Water, where it's like, here's this really powerful strategic player. Uh, and in, in, in all these instances, too, it's like Tyson had Jervis, um, Dom and Wendell had one other. It's like, on top of that, they're in a power duo. You know the, the power of a power duo in steamrolling through this game. There are all of these signals. And on top of that, you have Carla come in, who we would like to believe is a really savvy player at this game. And we're getting not even the mere, like, thought pattern of, well, what if we went after this powerful duo, especially when she's in a position in which she's a part of a duo and a duo with an idol. Mm -hmm. Like, why is she not thinking to work with Cassidy? I just don't, I I need to understand. I think I, 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 I'm a broken record, but it's like, I just, I need better understanding of where the players are at, who who they who their final twos are, um, who they think they can beat. Um, for instance, we never heard about this Sammy can make a great fire until this episode. Like that never mm-hmm. came into play. And like that seems like an important thing to that would dictate a lot of how you'd move through the game. Yeah. And I think that what I was saying about Sammy playing from the middle, we got a lot of content about and, and not like directly that he's like, I'm playing both sides, blah, blah, blah. But we did get a pretty good sense of how Sammy was playing between two alliances. Why haven't we gotten that sense from Jesse, who is also sort of like fusing two alliances, but kind of playing his own game? Like that actually is interesting. And the fact that nobody gunning for him, the fact that nobody is gunning for him is a testament to his game. And if we want to believe that he's a great game player, then we should be getting more perspective into what people think about him. And if they if they are not seeing him as a threat, that's significant. Like, And I know that they go in these confessionals and they have to talk about every single player on the island. So there's content to work with. It's not like they're not capturing it. It's just uh, confusing why we're not seeing it because that is a big question looming around Jesse is what is his threat level amongst these people? It's got to be low because so far nobody has targeted him and it's wild that they haven't because he is playing probably the best game out there. Right. And also too, like when you think about some of the great wins, so if we take, if we take a face value of the idea that Jesse is playing a great game, I guess to me, I more see that as like, does Jesse's success in this game say more about the rest of the cast and their inabilities than it does about Jesse's abilities? Because when you think about, for instance, like Tina's win, it's like part of the remarkable thing about Tina is the idea that like she was able to you know, uh, beat someone like a Colby. Um, or when you think about like Sandra's win and heroes versus villains, what's so exciting about Sandra's win and heroes versus villains is that like, she's up against two other great players. I mean, we can argue about like what makes great, but you know what I mean? Like two other, and she manages to win. Whereas like right now, I feel like if Jesse makes it to the end and wins to me, it's like, well, who else was, was really in contention outside of Owen. And the only reason why I think Owen 
would win would be more of his likability than it would be mm -hmm. his strategic acumen, which I will say I'm in favor of that being, I would rather that be the case, like in sort of how we vote, but is it exciting? Yeah. Since you bring up JT and Steven earlier in the episode, I think maybe a good parallel for Jesse is JT, because JT, people knew that he was good at the game. They knew he was succeeding, but they liked him so much, they overlooked it to the point that it became their downfall as he got to the very end of the game. They sort of let him coast through. And it's like, I have to imagine that's probably what's happening with Jesse. I mean, he seems really likable. Everybody seems to want to work with him. They listen to what he has to say. That's very much like JT's game in Token Chain. So if that's the case, it's just like, we know why JT got to the end, but we're not seeing it for Jesse. So like, right. yeah, and that's, even if, that's if, a problem. We can read into it, but we shouldn't have to read into it. We shouldn't have to. And also just like, we just need more time with Jesse. Like we just yeah, don't yeah. see him a lot on the show. And what we do see is the minimal like strategy talk and like corralling votes. But like I said this a few weeks ago, I have no idea what Jesse is like as a human being. All we've gotten outside of strategy stuff is the prison stuff or the, you know, the stuff about him being a father and his kids, but nothing outside of that. I don't think we've ever yeah. even seen Jesse interact with someone like Cassidy, for instance. Like, I have no idea. You have to imagine it's like, what? It, it's like you're trying to build relationships with everyone there, even if you're not necessarily working with them because they're potential jury votes. So I just think it, it, it's more necessary so that we understand the optics of lots of different pairings. And I just don't really have that sense. And also, I just have to say, like, Cody is just like such a flop. Like they made, he was such a big character in those early episodes. And I was excited about, you know, we were talking at the start of this episode about characters, right, of the past. And Cody had that potential in him to be a real character, um, but it just never really went anywhere. And I feel like it almost feels like the editors gave up on him as a character too, where they just were like, they were like really hot on him in the beginning. And then we're kind of just like, it's not happening. We don't even need to try. It's confusing because in the beginning, Cody was a polarizing figure mm -hmm. where it was like some people loved him and some people hated him. And that was great. We talked about that being great for the show. And then it's like, it almost felt like they were like, oh my God, some people don't like this person. Let's just hide him. Yeah. Or it's like, if you I don't like, I don't, I don't want to say it's like some kind of conspiracy on the editor's part to like protect him from any negative fan feedback. But it's like, just strange that he was there they had a big opportunity for a polarizing figure and then he just kind of disappeared but let's talk about cody because we have this moment where a boat pulls up to the shore and gives the players a note and the note says there's an advantage somewhere in your jungle go and they all run off into the jungle and we get probably 25 shots of a piece of paper nailed to a tree and the players walking around it and eventually it's Cody who finds it. This was a wild and maddening moment. Evan, <laughs> what did you think about the advantage hunt? Well, I want to rewind to the arrival of the boat, which had everyone conveniently awake for the sunrise as the boat arrived. I thought that was a little bit strange. Um, I will say this. I will say this about this. I like. I, I. I see where you're going with this, but I will say that in both 41 and 42, more so in 41, we saw them sitting on the beach 
every morning watching the sunrise together. And if the okay. sunrise is like that, like I could see that that's a part of the routine. We, we haven't seen mornings a whole lot. And like that yeah. stuck out to me as like, oh, this is like a beautiful scene that was it reminded me of watching Borneo where you had those beautiful sunrise scenes. And so like we have seen this in the modern era. So I don't know if it's just become a routine for the players or if production was like, can you all go to the beach? Okay, so looking at this, in theory, like the idea of like, there's an idol, go. So I, there's some pros and cons to this, but let's start with the pros. I like the pro of it is that everyone is able to explicitly look for something without anyone needing to pretend that, you know, they're going to the water well or something. I like the idea of like, it's like game on, everyone go. It reminded me of that moment um, in season 40 um, when they finally get the battle back, the the uh, eliminated winners finally get the battle back competition to come back into the game. And it's kind of like everyone go. And it just becomes like everyone gets activated and there's immediate chaos. So I do think that's exciting. On the one hand, do I think it would have been nice if there was like some sort of clue, perhaps? But I also think there's something potentially exciting in just being like, it could be anywhere, go. Like no, you, got, you got nothing. I think the issue here, there's several, but the main one for me comes down to the setting, right? And the idea that like every shot of this this beach and this forest, because, I don't know if it's whether, I don't know if it's a matter of because we've been here now for so many seasons or what, it's just visually unexciting. You have no sense of this island or how big it is at all. And I think the fact that we got 40,000 shots of the idol and that tree and everyone being in that vicinity, if that was what actually happened, which we'll get to in a second, but um, just the idea that everyone would be, would be passing through the same spot that often in a search of the entire island, in theory, the entire island, air quotes, that to me is like something, it's confusing. You as an audience member wanna have some sense of the land, right? Or even just like, you know, could it be at the beach, um, you know, on underneath some of the rocks? Is it in a tree? It, it's just like, but everything just visually looks the same. They're always these same shots of the forest. Um, and I think that is a, that sort of makes it dissatisfying uh, as you watch because you don't know where anyone is at any given time. It's interesting because, you know, having just watched the mall, the mall really utilized the aerial map. And we've never seen like really a proper aerial shot of these beaches. And it might be really fun to be like, to just get an aerial shot of like where everything is at. And it could be related to the story. It could be related to where an advantage is and where they're searching. Like that would be a, like a really nice way to let the audience into kind of like what we're dealing with here. And it might be fun to be like, oh, look, like if you were to put on a map, say, like if they wanted to do an editing flourish, they could like put up a map and be like, Carlos looking over here, Sam is looking over here, like, uh, and just try to get a sense of like, then, then we're kind of like rooting for people and we're like, oh, no, you're in the wrong area, you're in the wrong area. Because at this point, we're just looking at people look at trees out of context. Right. And also it's like, you know, Gabler makes the comment, it's like looking for, I think something, needle in a haystack, was that the analogy or whatever? Yeah, but um, But again, I didn't get that sense because all we got was everyone being over in that exact same area looking around. And you have to imagine like, in theory, this could have either, no one could have found it or it could have taken days. If you're really searching the entire island, and it feels like it just took them a few hours and it's like, it shouldn't. <laughs> There, there's like, I've always wondered, I've always wondered about 
how much the players rely on the movements of the cameras to find advantages. Right. Well, you saw the Devin tweet. You know, I mean, we often talk about, we often talk about like, you, you see people idle hunting and then the camera zooms into something, right? And it's like, are there just so many cameras or th- like this is normal well, behavior for the cameras or they truly don't notice the cameras, but you have to like think the cameras are a significant advantage to keep right. an eye on. And there, there was obviously a camera planted right in front of that tree. And like, maybe, maybe that's why people were hanging around that tree is because the cameras were really focused around that area. Like, maybe that's why we had so many people looking around there. And I also understand, I can understand to some degree why it took so long to find, despite them all walking by it, because I think back to Cody found the advantage for the Beware Advantage sitting on top of a rock. Janine found hers low in a tree. Now, Carla's the only one that found hers up in a tree, but... It's like they've been so obvious. And yes, this was obvious, but also like I will give them the benefit of the doubt that this envelope really did blend in with the tree. And like probably, I I know myself, I probably would have missed it a hundred times. That's just me. Uh, But (laughs) so I, I can see how and why they might have missed this. But uh it, it is interesting to think about like how the cameras were placed and like whether they were following cameras or the cameras were following them. Well, did you see the Rick Devins tweet? No. So he tweeted basically addressing this very thing, saying that when you're looking for idols during the game, uh, the camera crew will specifically try and throw you off by, you know, leading oh. you to think it's something. Um Perhaps that's I, I I don't know the answer to that, obviously. I don't think this moment was real. I just don't. Um call me a conspiracy theorist, whatever. I knowing what I know about the way that those um that Dalton Ross writes those pieces, uh, and the verbose nature in which he speaks about these moments, and knowing that CBS works with Entertainment Weekly on these stories, and that the fact that they uh, there's just some I, I, I'm, again I might sound crazy here but I just wait don't how is Dalton Ross coming into this because I think there's a way in which <laughs> CBS is thinking as the show is airing about the moments that they're going to be able to have entire pieces written about on Entertainment Weekly and make you can right. see the headline in this moment where it's like idle in plain sight and here's all these visuals that you can get you can see the memes <laughs> being made like no i'm not i'm i'm serious no 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 like, no i i think i think you're right in terms of like they're they're thinking about moments people are talking about are they thinking specifically about what dalton ross is going to write about i mean i, I think that they think are so. <laughs> i do i don't well, think so i think okay. they're thinking about what people are going to talk about okay fair but i but just yeah, think that same there's, idea same idea i think that there was something where Perhaps Cody found it, and then they restaged the mo- like. I I I don't know that I won't get That's into because we could go go and, and we'll never actually yeah. we might possibly know. But I just there was something about the way that it was filmed and the fact that I think it would have worked better had they gotten like three shots of people in, in plain sight. But when it got to like four, five, six, and just the way it was shot and everything, it all it was like people were doing it in such a way that it just it. Again, it felt like Tisch School of the Arts, where it was a little bit like we're gonna we're gonna go out of our way to not see it. Like that's how it started to appear after a while. Yeah, I, and I, I think I'll there's a difference that... in if it was just like in um, the hole of a tree. I don't know what you call that, and mm-hmm. we had them like walking right by it. I think that that a hundred times that could have landed. And I hear what you're saying about like maybe you would have missed it. I think it was a little too 
very much in plain sight. I also feel like it moved a little bit between some of those shots, which I thought was odd. Really? Uh, there's that. I mean, it could have been windy. Okay. <laughs> I I don't believe that they're staging things like this. I really don't. I think I think they got a moment out of this. I think they were lucky to get it. I just like I I've heard too much about Survivor and and when and how they direct people to do things that even both in the old era and the new era that I just don't believe or don't want to believe that they would like stage this for a gag. I could see how it would be read that way for sure. I just well, don't buy that they did that. And even if, if 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 I'm wrong and you're right and like let's say this is what really happened, I just think we've had more satisfying moments of people being in play, it's like because the stakes felt low with us not really knowing what the advantage was and also just feeling like the show is oversaturated with advantages. We've had instances in the past in which it's like, you're really rooting for someone to find the idol and they're walking by it three times. And that to me gets my heart pumping a lot more than this just because it was like, I didn't really care who found the advantage. It was like, unless it was, it was Carla- a piece of fabric. Yeah, it's a piece of fact. It wasn't going to be someone I was particularly enthused about. Um, so I just, I thought this, I thought the stakes were low. What you really need in a moment like this is there to be a true underdog who then you can root for to find the advantage. I'm sorry, I'm going to make a Survivor Australia thing real quick here. And I probably, I'm going to obscure my people because I'm not sure if you're at this point yet. But there's a moment in the season of Australia that I'm watching in which someone is on the bottom of their tribe and like it's, their vote out is very inevitable and suddenly they start idol hunting because they need an idol and you get to watch for quite a few segments. I mean, they cannot find this idol, not just this person. There's this one tribe and they, they know there's an idol and no one seems to be able to find it. And so you have this person who's out searching who really needs it. And so whether you like them or not, this character, you're going to feel one way about it and you're going to be invested in whether or not they find it because it's going to affect the game in a big way. And it's not this advantage in 43 is not going to affect the game, but without knowing how and who's working with who, I just think the stakes are incredibly low. Right. No one's yeah. really like on the bottom right now. And also I was thinking too, um, going into the finale now with the, the, or not the finale, excuse me, the penultimate episode, you have two people from each of the original tribes left, but that's really played like no factor. Um, I obviously know it's like you have these pairings that were in the game originally together, but they feel more like people that got along than they do tribe loyalty. Um, mm. Like there's never been a conversation of like two tribes linking up and taking out another, like that's not really been a part of the conversation at all. Um, so anyway, a little bit of a tangent there, but I, yeah, I just feel like this was a, uh, I, I get the idea of it. I'm not opposed to this like happening again, um, I think maybe it didn't work with this current formulation and the lack of sort of dynamics. Again, right. who's on the bottom? I guess yeah. Sammy. Well, and Owen, maybe? Yeah. I mean, Owen feels he's on the bottom, but is he actually? I don't know. I'm trying to think of an instance of this happening with a player who like would have made us gag had they found it. Like someone like when we've been really rooting for someone that's really not in a good place. I mean, you know who's coming to mind for me? Who, um, is there anyone that comes to mind for you? No. 
Like you're talking a hypothetical past season. Yeah, just like yeah, yeah. Someone that was like down that like would have really needed it. <laughs> right. Um uh, and, oh, Karishma from 39 comes to mind as someone okay. who like this would have been really exciting to see. Yeah. You want someone who like the audience loves like for anyone out there listening that watched the most recent season of Big Brother, this was like the kind of advantage you would have wanted someone like a tailor to get. Basically, the ideal here is that it's like the someone that the cast themselves is not driving with that the audience loves. Yeah. I would like have Sandra liked for, is a great example. I would have liked for Sari to find an advantage in Game Changers that night. <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> then nobody would have gone home. Okay, so what send, Cody send does Jeff get is... What Cody does get is a choose your champion advantage where he gets to, uh, first of all, find out what the immunity challenge is and then choose who he thinks would do well at it. If he is correct in his guess of who will win, he will also win immunity. It was a little bit confusing at first because I was wondering, like, wait, does he get their immunity? Mm -hmm. Uh, But no, actually, he would just also win immunity. Um, so that's interesting. We do see that he votes for Owen, and that's also interesting because apparently Owen had been talking about this challenge, not just on the show, but also Owen shared on Twitter that he had made a Reddit post years ago about wanting to play this challenge. So uh, Owen was primed to play this challenge, so I guess Cody made a good choice there. Can we talk about the challenge? Please. Okay, so last gasp the last time this was played was 17 seasons ago in Caramoan where Brenda won uh, it's also been played in Micronesia and I want to say Guatemala no. Palau Palau and so uh, love this challenge have always loved this challenge they of course have to stay under a grate just above the waterline uh, and continue breathing or last as long as they can as the tide increases and it becomes harder to breathe and the last person left theoretically wins Uh, okay i like this challenge i think you are hotter on it than i am i like this challenge i think the show like Obviously, they brought in the (laughs) flourish of the theme song um, to really sort of like make a moment out of this. I think it is a really good challenge. Um, I don't think it like they I think that they went out of their way to like lionize this challenge in a way that like there are far more iconic survivor challenges. I was saying to you in our text messages ahead of today, um, what do we call it? Because I know we don't call it the gross food challenge now. So what do we call it in retrospect? I don't know. Eating stuff. Okay, so like I feel like bringing (laughs) back the eating stuff challenge would be far more exciting for people and present, people love that, again, talking about moments that are bigger than Survivor, people just like watching people eat odd foods, right, and have a hard time eating and getting things down, Um, or bring back the Survivor auction as a challenge. I mean, that's something that I think could really be exciting. It's not that I don't, I'm all for this challenge coming back, but I feel like the show just made a bigger deal out of something that I think is a a good challenge in a canon of great challenges that we no longer see anymore. Yeah. I mean, there's plenty of challenges that they could bring back and probably treat the same way. I think that this is an iconic challenge and I really liked watching it play out and i thought that it was interesting because in the previous three times that they've played this they've played it in quite still water yeah the the water was rising but it was still where here you had those as jeff was calling them swells um where 
the water was not still. And so it actually was kind of a little bit of a twist on the challenge where it was like in previous seasons, it was just the water slowly rising and you have to create sort of a uh, air tube that you can breathe out of with your hands. And that's ultimately how you would win. But in this season, you had just like these moments where you had to endure being fully submerged underwater and get through those. And I thought that that was like just a good twist on the challenge where then we did have, uh, you know, a brief period of time there where the tide was high enough that they just had to like breathe through it. Um, but I really liked these moments where they, it was, it became a hold your breath challenge and like, don't panic challenge. And on the flourish, I have to say, like, it really worked for me. It really worked for me. I loved that remix of Ancient Voices. I love because because we've had we have had those flourishes of the vocals of Ancient Voices, the traditional theme song of Survivor. But what we haven't had is the like the the wood instrument <laughs> sound. And we did get that in this remix. And I, I just thought like it hit really well. Uh do I necessarily associate that song with an old school challenge? I, this isn't even like that old school of a challenge. Um, it does appear 10 seasons in, but like, I thought it really worked. It really worked for me. What didn't work for me <laughs> was that uh, it lasts for two hours and 45 minutes, which is impressive. And we have Owen and Carla left and the tide is going back out. And so the water is decreasing once again. And Jeff decides that they have made a call that they that the players have beat the challenge and that both Carla and Owen will win individual immunity increasing Cody's odds doubling Cody's odds at at him also winning immunity and of course we know that he voted for Owen and so he does and uh, so that's where I think the the problem starts which is that there are many ways that they could have arrived at a single winner, but they chose to award two winners. And I wouldn't even have, that's a lie. I would have a problem with them awarding two winners, but I think it becomes a lot more problematic given the advantage, which was choose the one person who will win. And then not only does that ink double that person's odds at winning immunity, um, but it also creates the situation where three out of seven people cannot be voted for that night, where in a game where we also have three hidden immunity idols still floating around. I also just want to mention, so Jeff Probst, of course, did an interview with Dalton Ross after the fact. And I just want to read something that he said, because I think there are two things that are just actually not true in his response. So after he says- After this episode, I'm banning the name Dalton Ross. Great, please. Um, he says, <laughs> we love Last Gasp. It's one of the few individual challenges that is pure mind over matter. No, it's not. It is not mind over matter. If you can't breathe, you can't breathe. It's not a mind. Mind over matter is when it's an endurance challenge in which you're doing something like, like for instance, the best mind over matter is the iconic Palau challenge when they're simply standing on the dock thing. You know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. That's mind over matter because it's like you just got to stay up there. There's no... You're not doing anything. It's like until you have to will yourself to just stay. Anyway, so this is not mind over matter. And then Jeff says, there is no discernible advantage ba based on height, weight, age, or gender. 
Yes, there is. <laughs> Men have bigger lung capacities than women on average. That is just a fact. So there is a physical advantage that men have, that men have in many of these challenges, but to act like this is the great equalizer of challenges, that is not the case. That is the case when they do the challenges where they specifically have them uh, holding or carrying weight that is a percentage of their body weight. That is the great mm -hmm. equalizer because it is made, it is designed for the individual. This is not an example of that. This is not an equal opportunity challenge. Men do have an advantage. The same way when they do any challenge in, w in which they're having to run upstairs or something, men often have bigger strides than women. There's, there's just realities to this that it's fine. We have to accept the realities, but when we state this, when he does these these questionnaires and says things like, this is an equalizer, it's not. Like, you're not telling the truth. Right. And Carla becomes only the second woman to win this challenge after Brenda in Kara Moen. But I mean, two out of four, it's uh, like, again, I, I, it's no, like... No, I know, I know. Okay, I, yeah, okay. I mean, two two out of five, actually, because there's two winners in this. <laughs> this is true. This challenge. Right. So we don't know how this would have played out if they actually played this right. as, as a proper endurance challenge. I think what's most bothersome about this uh i'm not gonna take credit for it Char i just don't know if you were gonna say this but this is something you said to me in our text messages where you were it's like why could this not have been an endurance challenge why did this need to be called obviously the circumstances change but i think one of the great things about allowing this to be an endurance challenge is you know you get you have jeff acknowledge the fact that like the challenge has been uh what's the what would be like the word for it because it's like sort of like um they sort of, they beat the challenge, I guess, in a sense. I don't know, but whatever. But it's like, that's survivor for you, right? You have to think in the moment and 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 change things up as a result of, you know, you are at the behest of the island, right? The island gods did not want this challenge to go according to the way the survivor gods wanted it to go. Um, and so therefore you have to change things up in the moment. So have them stay in the water. Yeah, so we, we've got a couple voicemails about this, and I would like to get to them. I know we're already running long, but uh, I, I think this challenge is a big talking point. So, And I also don't think we need to talk much about tribal. A couple of these people. Hey, guys, great episode. My only bone of contention, I guess, would be the way this challenge finished. I mean, what was the plan if the tide came back in and there were still like three or four people uh, perched under the grate? We're going to have multiple, multiple immunities didn't seem like there was a plan or a backup and why couldn't they like do some sort of runoff like they used to do some sort of like take a hand off or like do some other thing where you have to just hold your breath like i felt like they just sort of lost steam and then it collided with the cody uh choose your champion advantage uh it just seemed messy all in all i don't know why not like pull out some old school Let's just see how long these guys can go. I know we're under uh, the clock for the shorter game, but surely this could have gone another hour or so. Okay, good point. Hold that because I have another. Such a good point. Hey, Sean and Evan, it's Jacob in Oakland. Um, I just finished watching the challenge portion of the episode, and I'm kind of annoyed. While I love that Carla won immunity, it seems like the challenge actually beat production. Because I would have loved to see them go through an entire other uh, tide cycle and then maybe another one, be out there 15 hours. That would be incredible. I want to see them go into the night in an, a true endurance test. 
it it just seemed like a dumb decision. Oh well. Well, also yeah, too so because I, I really. Of- I, Go ahead. I was going to say, because of the 26 days of it all, they literally had a tribal to get to that night. There, I think that there was just not room for them to be able to even consider making this into an endurance challenge. And I think what bothers me most, and I have to believe that this bothers other people, is not just the outcome here, but the idea of it being explained to us as survivor history. Like it's this way in which rather than acknowledging the failure and and figuring out a workaround, they present it as something really exciting. And I think that's where it gets so frustrating with so many aspects of the game today, where it's like, instead of just being like, hey, because of COVID, we're going from 39 days to 26, they have to present it as it's 26 days, but it's even harder than 39. And it's like, no, it's not. Like, don't make us, it's like this attitude of treating your audience like we're dumb. And so in moments like this, it's like kind of like, you can just acknowledge the fact that like, we didn't think through this and we can't believe this happened. And as a result, we're gonna have to make a last minute decision, which at least would have been more honest. I don't think it's necessarily the best outcome no matter what, but I think it's this idea that's frustrating about the show constantly framing these moments like this as, as, as sort of being great when they are, in fact, it's not good. You don't want something like this to happen. You don't want to make history in this way. Yeah, I, I, like I said, I do think they totally could have run this as a proper endurance challenge. I understand they don't want to be out there for 12 hours. They don't want an Ian, Tom, and Katie, and Palau, like 13-hour challenge. Uh, I get why they don't want that. There's probably several reasons, uh, including that they have to get to tribal, but also like... I don't know, union rules about working hours. But um, I do think that, like, if not running it as a complete endurance challenge where we just wait it out and who has uh, the the most grit to, like, stick this out, then do that runoff, like Frazier suggested, suggested. Because what we could have done, you know, we're watching Survivor Borneo where the challenges are rudimentary. And guess what they did? Hold your breath underwater. Yep, they had they had the structure. They could have just said like, climb like hang on to the pole underwater. Yep, last one up wins immunity. Like that's an easy tiebreaker, uh, and would have been like satisfying to see, and and still sticks within the concept of the challenge. You need, especially so. when you're down to having seven players left in the game, and not even mentioning Cody, whatever Cody had, this choose your champion, whatever. That even aside, they're just, there's not two winners at this juncture of the game. When you get down to it, it's not fun to have a seven person tribal in which three people are immune. Okay, well, let's move on for now uh, because I do want to just highlight some of the strategy going on because it was interesting. And it's that I think that First of all, it was really interesting to see Cassidy's reaction to the challenge because when, so I'm going back to the challenge actually, because when Jeff announces that both Carla and Owen are going to both win immunity, it's it's really interesting to watch the tribe back on the bench because the tribe is all watching except for Cassidy who is laying down behind the bench just like sunning herself. And when Jeff announces it, she gets up and looks over with like, the, the sourest look on her face. And I did feel like she was, you know, the proxy for the audience in that moment. And then we do get a confessional from her after the fact that she was like, this is so disappointing because now it's 
only four out of seven people that you could possibly vote for. And I'm one of those four. And this is so frustrating. And like, I really felt that for her because it is in this moment that Carla decides like, okay, I'm ready to cut Cassidy. Like Sammy planted that seed and credit to him, I think for doing that because Carla was ready to vote out her closest ally. And everybody else seemed to be on board with that in order to weaken Carla. But it was Jesse who noticed, like, hang on a second, if Carla's willing to vote out Cassidy, then is that really going to weaken Carla? Maybe we need to, like, make another move here. Let Carla vote for Cassidy, and we all will vote for Sammy, which will get rid of Sammy, who's a threat in the game and fracture Carla and Cassidy. So I thought that that was a really good gameplay on Jesse's part, that he was the first or only one to recognize that this was a a better longer-term move. But what I'm confused about is when it comes to the vote, Carla actually votes Sammy. So I don't know what happened here. I have to imagine somebody tipped off Carla that the vote was not going to be on Cassidy. It was going to be on Sammy. But it's like, who was that? Maybe we'll find out in the next episode. Who was that? And why did they do it? Yeah, but like, why not include that? Like in the lead up? Like that, I think would be a, yeah. Okay, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Okay, sorry. We're on the same page. Yeah, no, I I, I think that. Maybe it's Cassidy. Maybe Cassidy tips off Carla. And then like, and then that strengthens their bond moving forward because Cassidy did have this moment with Carla when she was kind of like confronted about Carla did go to her and say like, Hey, can we like just checking? We're keeping the idol thing between us. Right. And Cassidy did make a comment. I would love to see two women in the final three. And so maybe somebody went and told Cassidy, Hey, the votes on Sammy tonight, vote Sammy. And maybe Mm -hmm. Cassidy went and told Carla that. But so wait, so next, so penultimate is last time they can use idols. I think it might be five. But basically, it's like, isn't there a world in which... So basically, there's a world in which it's only one person can go home. Because if the, if one, if the person... We could have a Suri. We have three yeah, idols. We could have a Suri. And someone wins the immunity that's yeah. not one of those yeah. three. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I, I I don't think it's that's a great... Ones. Yeah. And yeah, honestly, too, I have awful. to say, too, it was just so dissatisfying going back to uh, Cody finding the, finding the choose your champion. It's just like... It's one of the worst feelings of Survivor when someone you don't like, who is already <laughs> in such a great position. It's like when Russell finds the second idol and you're like, Jesus Christ. It's like one of those things where it's like, I don't want Cody to have anything, let alone another something. It's just so disappointing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I do want to mention briefly, though, I think I think anyone listening to this is likely on the same page here, but it's like shot in the dark, not working, not working. Flop in the dark. Yeah, flop in the dark for real. No, but also too, if 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 you know, we have reason to believe it will return for forty four. If it did for forty three, and it's like, are we going to go through this again? And uh, we've talked about this. <laughs> I mean, luckily they're just like not talking. Like they right, but- they talked about it in this episode because it was used. But I have so I have a friend who has watched all forty seasons of Survivor uh, this year, and he. I was like, so were you watching 41 next? And he was like, actually, I really want to catch up on 43 because now I'm in this world and I feel like I'll get 43 spoiled for me. I already know who wins 42. So like, I'm just going to watch 43. So he's jumping into 43 and I'm like, so there's this thing that they're not going to explain called the shot in the dark (laughs) because they just haven't talked about it this season. And I think it's because it's not going to work. And so it was like, that was already a tip off that Sammy's shot in the dark was not going to work because they haven't. And and for, for a show that treats its audience like a bunch of dunces, like if they haven't explained to us how the shot in the dark works, it's not going to work for Sammy. 
Yeah. So, yeah, big flop, big flop. But at Tribal Council, we do get, uh, uh, of course, well, we get nothing, actually. <laughs> I don't need to talk about anything that they talked about. Uh, Jeff is on about high tides and low tides and how yeah, that works in Survivor. It doesn't, doesn't make sense. What we do get is Sammy uh, playing his shot in the dark, but we also get the reveal of Cody's advantage and that Cody is safe. Now, they reveal that after the votes are cast. What I don't understand is why did they take the advantage from him at the challenge? Wouldn't it be far more interesting if nobody knew whether anybody found the advantage? And then just at tribal, he played it basically before... Uh, the votes are red. Like that would have been a far more suspenseful. And then because it was basically just assumed because they all knew that Cody had found this advantage, it was assumed that Cody had immunity. And so no, but he was not a potential target at all. Where it would have been, I imagine the way they would have wanted this to play out is that Cody gets targeted. He gets the majority of votes. Then he plays this advantage and he turns out to be immune. Right. So I feel like they bungled the, 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 the sequencing of this a little bit. I don't mind the concept of the advantage. Uh, and I think that if it played out in the way that I just described, it actually could be quite exciting because the problem that Modern Survivor has right now is that all of their advantages and idols are so public that they're not getting played. They're, 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 it's, it's, it's neutralizing their power. Right. But you want this advantage to play out in a way where it's like someone who's can't really win at challenges finds it and gets and and chooses someone that's not on their alliance who they know is going to win the challenge like that to me right. is like the yeah. fun thing of like i'm going to link up with someone who i would never work with because i but the, yeah there's i i agree with you that like this challenge is not a flop i just think it was executed in the least exciting possible way so i'm not necessarily saying this this should go away but i think that there's multiple ways to retool it especially around when it's revealed yeah i definitely think there's potential for this advantage where it's like you think back to the idle nullifier which like on paper shouldn't have been a fun advantage but the way that it was executed so perfectly in david versus goliath made it of like a really fun moment and so i think that like that was a fluke for david versus goliath i think there were there were a thousand other scenarios where it didn't work and was a total flop uh so i think that there is potential i wouldn't mind seeing this advantage back to be honest um because i do think it's fun just like maybe not with two people winning immunity also just like why didn't jeff just arrive on the beach um that morning and let them know about this advantage like it could have used the back in the day jeff would have showed up and delivered this news in person and then been like everyone go yeah that would be fun Okay, I have uh, another voicemail that I would like to play from Alice. Alice of the um, the Lady Gaga song, Alice? No, because her name is Alice. Oh. So this is Alice. Um, okay, I have a question for y'all. Um, I was talking to a friend last night about um, how far Jesse was going to make it in the show, and he said that Jesse was going to be, like, the final boss of the season, meaning, like, whoever takes him out is going to probably go on to win. And I thought that was like such a smart observation. Like Omer was sort of the final boss last season. Um, Ricard was that. Um, so I'm wondering for this season, who do you think is the person who is like dominant and going to be taken out um, in order to like bring the winner to their ultimate victory? I thought that this was really interesting because is there a final boss? And does does taking out the quote unquote 
big threat or obvious winner, does that guarantee you a win? I mean, it certainly adds to your resume, but does it guarantee you a win? In this who season, might that yes. be this season? Gabler. And who would that be? Jesse? Gabler. Oh, that he would take out Jesse. Yes. Interesting. Oh, you think Gabler will take out Jesse and Gabler will win? Yes. I would be gagged. I would actually appreciate that. I would, I would yeah, I was going to say, at this point, because, <laughs> because, and I'm hesitant to say, I'm trying to choose my words here, which I'll say, uh, we can talk more about this on Patreon, but I would say, it's just like, I think the only possible winner that's going to, I, uh, I'm sorry, I know I'm getting twisted, but I yes, I think Gabler will get it, and I think Gabler would be the best winner for this season. Interesting, because I feel like the final boss could be either Jesse or Carla. The reason I think it might not be Jesse is just because we haven't seen him in trouble at all, whereas Carla is starting to get backed into a corner where her allies have been sort of picked off a little bit. Even her relationship with Cassidy seems somewhat fraught, and people seem to know that she has an idol, and that's threatening, even though it's not threatening for other people who have idols. Um, and so I'm starting to see Carla in a bit of a similar position as Ricard was in, in 41, where it's like, if she doesn't win those final immunity challenges, she's the obvious target for these people. And so like, I actually lean more towards Carla being the final boss and maybe Jesse or Cassidy taking her out. If Jesse takes her out, it's just like the final thing on his resume. And then it's an inevitable win or he doesn't win fire. Like we did get like a little bit of foreshadowing that Jesse was like, I'm bad at fire uh, in this episode. So that could happen too. Uh, But I do feel like somebody could take Carla out and actually it'd be really interesting. I think if Cassidy took Carla out and then used that in final tribal as part of her winning argument, um, because it's the the classic, like turning on your closest ally at, at the right time. Like I think, I'm leaning more towards Carla being the final boss. Okay, I just don't feel like her gameplay in the back half of the season has elevated her to that status. Because it's like, what are her her moves? Because if anything, it's like, James going out was something that like happened to her. I mean, sure, she was informed that it was going to happen. But like, I feel like if anything, it's I I just don't think she has the resume to qualify for final boss in the way that at least Jesse has some moves. Yeah, I see what you're saying. I think I'm like, I'm equating this very much with Ricard in 41, who had a very uh-huh. similar sort of situation where he took out Shan and that was his final big move. Right. And basically he had to win immunity every time after that in order mm-hmm. to stay in the game. And like, Carlos won a couple immunities now. Like, could she go on a streak? Is that the thing that makes her the final boss that like, she keeps winning these immunities and every, like we keep trying to get rid of her and we can't. And so like the first opportunity that we can, we get rid of her. Um, so... I don't necessarily think that it has to be because she's like making these huge, huge moves. It can be that she was an early threat. They did back her into a corner and they're just like trying to take their shot, but they don't get the opportunity until she loses immunity. And I love that Carla's in her challenge beast era. Who saw this coming? I mean, she's won two challenges. (laughs) Work. Okay. Let's leave it there for this episode because this has gone quite long here. Um, And we have some exciting stuff coming up next week where we are 
going to be branching out. We're going to be vacationing at the White Lotus on Monday. And we have not been recapping this season of the White Lotus, but what better time to start than with the penultimate episode? So we are going to recap episode six of the white lotus which i think is an absolutely incredible show this is an incredible season i think it's even better than season one i think that the last episode was one of the all-time great episodes of tv completely perfect 12 out of 10 and i think both of us are really excited to talk a little bit about survivor mike white's the white lotus hmm I'm looking for our emoji for the week because I wanted something like water themed because of the challenge. What about the football? What's the reason? Charlie Brown cooking the football. Oh. Is there a football? Yeah, there's got to be a football. There's a football. <laughs> I don't go to the sports section very often. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do a football. So, not only are we going to be going to the White Lotus, which we're very excited about, uh, we are also going to be talking to a Survivor legend on Tuesday to get their thoughts on season 43, the latest episode, and the new era in general. This is an old school player, a new school player. Very, very excited to talk to this person. You'll find out who that is very soon, uh, and that's going to be a lot of fun. So in addition to our recap next week, you're going to be getting three whole new episodes of Drop Your Buffs next week. How exciting is that? <sighs> okay. <laughs> hey we're really excited for two out of those three yeah that's true um, <laughs> and if you have thoughts on the white lotus after you watch it on sunday night like feel free to uh send a voicemail maybe uh maybe we'll play it on the show uh, because we're certainly loving it i imagine many of you are as well okay with that you can find us on Patreon for more content, patreon.com forward slash drop your buffs, where uh, we'll be sharing a video of our interview with a certain legend uh, after our interview on Tuesday. So you'll be able to find that there, uh, as well as a lot of other content, including our Borneo recaps. Uh, make sure you're following us on Instagram at drop your buffs pod to the football. That's going to be fun. Okay. Thank you so much for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.